to the stand. There's nobody uh, in our ranks who's worked harder uh, from our side of the business to promote the advancement of craft beer unity uh, and organization in this state. And I'm very proud to call Mickey a friend. Uh, she's going to be talking to you about Oklahoma Craft Beer 2015, the local year.
Hill Climb. We actually were represented by myself and a couple other breweries in Washington, D.C. I was actually at the awesome, awesome honor of being partnered with Charlie Papazian, also known as the godfather of craft beer. He has been a forefront fighter for everyone in craft beer. He started when there were 41 breweries in the United States, and now we have over 3,500. He has been a huge advocate for us, and I got to spend eight hours in our nation's capital. I got to go to seven meetings with our actual elected officials that are on the Hill. Out of those seven meetings, I actually got to visit with five of the actual officials and not just their representatives. Um, Charlie taught me a lot that day about how we all need to come together. And during that movement, and we're still trying to get the excise tax lowered nationally for all of our small breweries, um, because they really need a break as much as anyone else. They need a break much bigger than, much much, much more than the big guys. Um, even if they got to save $1,000 a year, that's a huge thing for our small craft breweries. A thousand, you don't think that $1,000 could go very far, but that could be a very small piece of equipment that makes a huge impact on these guys. Um, we gained a lot of support, actually, in those meetings because we got to meet them. We got to hear our story. I encourage any of you to sit down and talk to any of our brewers that are trying to start out that are current and get their story. They're all so very, very unique on why they're doing this, why they continue to do it. I can tell you that they're not in it for the money. <laughs> they are in it because they want to please the masses. They want to show everyone their artisanship and their skill and making great beer. And who doesn't love beer? Um, that brings me to legislation.
what we're embarking on and what's going on right now at its heart is a consumer movement. Senator Bice put this bill in as a consumer. So this really is focused on what the consumers want. They want to be brought into the 21st century. They want the, the people that make their beer locally to be brought into the 21st century to bring it back home to craft groups. And I'm going to talk a little bit about where we are right now. I'm not going to cover uh, the exact same ground or history that, that Zach covered earlier, but I'm going to cover a little bit about where we are now and what the Craft Brewers Association of Oklahoma, what are our priorities legislatively. And most importantly, I'll end with how you can get involved, because that's the most important part of this whole effort. We can't do it. We can throw all the money in the world we want to at this, which we don't have. There's some other people in this fight that have all the money. But it's the people and the consumers and getting involved with your local legislator that really makes this, this happen in the end for your local businesses. Currently in the laws, I'm going to steal a little bit of Zach's terminology earlier, but we said for beer, we've got two divergent systems. That was the, that was the uh, 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 word that he used, and it really is. We've got two systems that are completely different that diverged out of prohibition, uh, one a little bit earlier than the other. Uh, but what we have, as many folks know, is we have a system that regulates low-point beer, which is 3.2 alcohol by weight, 4.5 volume or lower, and we have a system that regulates beer that's higher than that. We call it strong beer. And most of the brewers in here, most of the brewers in this state that are operating now, uh, operate in both. And so we've had some experience with both systems. Now, there are some things that we like about about one, things we like about the other, and vice versa. Needless to say, for our, for what we want to do as craft brewers, what we've got right now isn't perfect. But if we put the two systems together, we're going to have a lot that I think we can be proud of and we can work with. Work with them. There's some strengths in our current system. Especially on the strong beer side. Our current system on the strong beer side, and this applies the same for wine and distilled spirits, but I'm here to talk about beer. On the strong beer side, we've got a system that's supported and fostered local independent proprietors at various levels of the alcohol industry. As many of you may know, uh, most states govern their alcohol and have a legislative scheme which is called this three tiered system. Three-tier system separates a manufacturer, a brewery in this instance, from a wholesale distributor and from a point of sale. And there's a lot of history behind that. Uh, there used to be what's called tied houses back a long time ago, which were brewery-owned saloons that really just dumped alcohol back post-Civil War. A lot of economic development was happening along the railroads in this nation from the East Coast to the West Coast. And there was a problem. There was a real problem. We had more breweries back then than we do now. And most towns that had a uh, had a, a, a train going through would have several saloons that were owned by a brewery. And you're talking about a time when people didn't really have aspirin to take for a headache or whatever. So, you know, what did they do to pass the time away? And there were some real social issues there. And we can't deny that as we go forward. But we're in an era of responsibility. We're in an era, we're not back prior to the turn of the Sure that bad 
And so from a Kraft Brewer's perspective, we're not in the bad poor quality business. Quality is something we pride ourselves on. We're making great quality beers in this state. It's dominated by beers largely. I can't think of one Oklahoma brewery that, that, that processes their beer through pasteurization. I mean, beer is a perishable product. It's made to be consumed fresh. And we deliver great beer to the state through the three-tier system. Now, the three-tier system, as we have in this state, like I said, it's fostered a lot of independent growth. We have wholesalers in this state on, on the strong beer side that are independent wholesalers. We have liquor stores in this state that are very, they're independent mom-and-pop shops. They're very, very good stewards of our product. We'd like to enhance their ability to be those stewards, I think, in this whole process. And I think as, as part of this, we also, as a, as a local locally owned brewer up in Tulsa, one of the things that, that, that you know, we don't want to see is us having to get on an airplane and go to some corporate office in order to get our beer in the local market. We can go to folks locally, places like Open Door, tell them our story. Locally owned, locally owned point of sale to locally owned manufacturer. And that's really the way it should be. When we want to foster community, we want to foster an economy that rewards the people that are in this state making great product and bringing being good stewards to the community. So that's what we currently have. But there's some limitations. It's a shame that I can't sell all the beer I make at my brewery. That I just have to sell beer that's 4.4% by volume or less. That's a shame. It's a shame that I can't sell a bottle of beer for my brewery. Most brewers in the United States have that ability, and these are the things that we need to modernize. So, when you, so I want to shift kind of what I'm talking about now to what does modernization look like for the craft brewers in Oklahoma? Because modernization looks different for each player at each tier of the alcohol industry. But for an Oklahoma brewer and for the Craft Brewers Association, here's what we see, what we'd like to see in modernization. And we think this modernization can happen if we move beer over to the 3-2 system or if we move beer over to the strong system. We can see this happen on both sides. And uh, what we'd like to see are the tap rooms. The tap rooms are strong, are probably the most vital thing. When, when there are areas in this country that have so many breweries that it's hard for those breweries to get to market. There just simply aren't enough distributors. And if they happen to be in the state where they self-distribute, which is a minority of states that are out there, it becomes a problem. And their only way to survive and perpetuate is to have their own tap rooms. And so we should have that ability. We should be able to foster our homegrown entrepreneurs that are getting in this business by being able to say, come in, have a tour, experience our product. We all sell great products, but let's sell a great experience at the same time. And so come in, and it's just a shame that I can only sell 4% beer. So that's probably at the top of our priority list with the CBAO, is tap rooms. But what does that also mean? That also transitions into brew pubs. Brew pubs are a little bit different from a tap room. So a brew pub are going to be our folks like Bricktown Brewery, Coaches, and if I'm leaving some out, I, I apologize, but those are the coming into my, into my mind up in, uh, up in Tulsa. We don't have any anymore, but we're getting some. But on that side, we've got breweries that have great restaurants that have been around for a long time that can, that can not make a beer 
need to change that. And we need to have some changes in the law that allow those people to brew and sell their full-strength beer and still be able to maintain mixed beverage licenses like any other restaurant does. And that's something that neither system on either side that we currently have provides. And we want to see, when that comes together, we want to see that happen in the law. We also want to make sure we can still do growlers. We can do growlers on the 3-2 side. I'd like to throw a growler of Atlas IPA at my place. I'd love to go down and see my friends at Anthem and get a growler of their full strength beer. Uh, that's one of the things we need to make sure that's in place. We've got it under the three two sets laws. We want to make sure we can continue to do that. We've, I think we've got a brewery in the state doing growlers too, the big cans. Same thing. Let's keep doing it. Keep doing that. We appreciate you guys paving the way on those kind of things. We also want to be able to sell them out of package stuff direct. Somebody that comes and visits your brewery out of state, you should be able to do it. And that's top on our priority list as well. And that all has to do, that kind of all stems from the tap room. It's, what, it's a principle that we look at and we say, this could all be described as direct to consumer sales. Now, do we want to go out there and uh, be able to uh, open off or open places all over the state and, and, and run the, or be able to, to own our own points of sale and, and do everything? If you're a group up, some sort of access direct sales to market, even if it's limited, but, but that will allow the tourism side of our business to be able to, uh, to be, to where we can promote it and really be able to, to, to push that forward uh, with our business models. The next big priority that we have for the Craft Brewers Association of Oklahoma has to do with access to market. And this is access to market, our access to market, not the access of, of, of people to our products. While we'd like to see them have more opportunities at the brewery, at grocery stores, and other places to buy our products, our access to market is being able to get our beer to the market. And that deals a lot with how things are structured at the wholesale level. Uh, right now, an Oklahoma strong, Oklahoma strong beer cannot be sold direct to a consumer and cannot be delivered directly to a point of sale. Now, most of us in the business don't get into self-distribution. We do what we do best. We make beer. Some people in the business, either because uh, for one reason or the other, there may be a limited amount of wholesalers out there, their only choice is to go direct to market and deliver that beer to the pub around the corner. And they should be able to do that. Most states allow their brewers to do that, and we'd like to see that happen in this state as well. Also, in the area of global consolidation, mergers, and acquisitions, you're going to see a lot more of big distributors carry exclusive brands. And I think that's where it's important that we look to this system that we have in Strong Beer that's fostered our independent wholesalers, and we really say, hey, these folks have allowed us on the Strong Beer side to come into the market. They've kept a lot of the big market forces outside the state of Bay because they generally control a lot of the distribution in this system, and I think that we need to, we need to make sure that those local businesses also included in this process in that, you know, when you know, a big brewery, and I don't want to name any names, but you can guess, you know, has an incentive program that says, hey, we're going to incentivize you to put these, these brands on the market, uh, and if you do so, we're going to rebate money back to you. That's not a level playing field, and we'd like to see a level playing field in those areas. And that brings me to another, another topic under the, under the office 
places of access to market, which is trade practice enforcement. While we all, you know, don't really necessarily like, uh, you know, we, let me phrase this the right way. Trade practice enforcement has to do with the, with the, with the level playing field. We want to make sure at the federal level there are prohibitions with regard to incentives. You can't give certain incentives to points of sale. You can't, uh, unless it's set up, for example, a beer festival is classified on the federal level as a, as a temporary retailer. But you can't go in, you can, well, you can go in and you can take your, your, your Waymatic graphicism or you can take your uh, jockey boxes and, and go to a festival. You can't then, if it's not a festival, go and uh, offer a bar to pay to put their tap system in. And those are things that do happen in other states. States illegal. We think things like that need to, need to stay illegal and need strong trade practice enforcement. And I'll tell you what, while some there may be some detractors of the Aid Commission out there, uh, they do a great job of trade practice enforcement in our state. And while we, we don't see necessarily the same role for them in the future, we do see a role for trade practice enforcement. But that all goes under the auspices of access to market. And finally, I think one important thing that a lot of people don't know out there
another way to get involved, and I'm going to make the ask, you can donate to the Craft Brewers Association of Oklahoma. We have, uh, we have patron memberships uh, that, 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 that we, we can offer, but we'll take any amount to fund this fight because it takes some money. We've got a great lobbyist down at the, down at the Capitol uh, that we're working with, and, it, and it's a fight that we have to be involved in. And that just does take resources. But indirectly, I think, even if you don't want to give directly to us, keep buying our beer. That's probably the biggest thing you can do. Because even if there's a levelless playing field, or even if there's not, even if there's a playing field that maybe give a bigger out-of-state brewery a little bit more power than, other, than another brewery, it's you as the consumers, it's you as the local market that gets to decide whether or not somebody gets to purchase tax space at the higher level. If you keep demanding your Oklahoma beers and your Oklahoma products that are the freshest beers in the state, I guarantee you,
one of you is going to walk up to me and tell me I'm wrong in a minute, but I believe this is the first time in the history of the United States of Craft Beer that a state's Craft Brewers Association has aligned to brew a beer together. Uh, that the revenue directly coming from that beer will then go to benefit that industry's uh, movements and objectives in the legislative session. Uh, and so we're here today to announce uh, what has finally come to be called Collaboration for Legislation, uh, which will be a pale ale that we will brew on Tuesday the 19th at Krebs Brewing Company, home of Chop Beer, uh, down in Krebs, Oklahoma. Uh, and uh, from that point forward, uh, that beer will be available in all of our individual tap rooms uh, for sale, um, and also at local establishments, including this one, uh, and also Tapworks, which Mr. Greg Powell here is representing, uh, and several other uh, institutions. Again, in the same way that I've harped on you about buying the pie glasses, all of this stuff costs money, and we desperately need it. Uh, and so please, please come out to our places and support us, support the CBAO, support each of these individual breweries and the work they do. I guarantee you there aren't any other businesses in this state that care more about the communities that they work in than people standing next to me. Uh, and so uh, we're going to move into the panel, but uh, before we do, that's going to be the last thing for the night. Before we do, if I can give a great round of applause for these people standing next to me, for the work they do, for the time they put out today, Secondly, uh, again, please buy the CBAO pine glasses that Micah has for sale behind the bar. Again, it goes to a great cause, which is our cause. Uh, and uh, please, please, please come out again tomorrow night for their anniversary party where there will be beers represented from every brewery that's standing up here. Uh, special beers, not the beers you're used to, things that you will not be able to get anywhere but here. Uh, and secondly, we're about to move into our brewer's panel, and I know that there are people that have filled into the restaurant that were not here for this, but if everyone who is here for this that is interested in talking about issues facing our industry, or just issues about beer, or about how to make beer, or how to open your own brewery, please come forward uh, as we move into this time so that we can uh, get to you uh, and make sure your question is heard and that our respondents can answer that. Uh, and so now we're going to move that time. I'm going to have Blake from Coo and Emily from our newly appointed uh, executive director of the Oklahoma Crackers Guild, and Trey from Four or Five are going to be our panelists. Uh, so please come up with all your questions. Otherwise, they're just going to answer my questions in the next 30 minutes. Which God knows what those are going to be. <laughs>
but uh, yeah, it's panel time. We'll uh, take a seat and uh, kind of go with questions as they come. No real structure here, just answer whatever questions we can and uh, see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Again, any question is on the table. Uh, well, I say any question, but you know, I guess we'll all be the judge of that. So, here we go. So, what is the one thing that you want um, a craft group advocate to do to support you as a voter, as a citizen? What is the thing we can do to be most meaningful for you? I knew I was going to get the microphone on this one. First and foremost, uh, I would encourage you to follow local, which is a consumer-based advocacy group for all of us, um, including craft beer, wine, liquor, all of that. Number two, uh, buy all of our guys' beer. <laughs> um, also, if you ever want to, you can go to the Brewers Association, and they have brewersassociation.org. Um, that's the national, basically, organization that we all fall under. And they have some national campaigns to lower excise tax for all of our guys. If you could just go, like, it just takes a couple clicks on their website to go and uh, send letters to your representatives and senators to send those to them so that we can get that excise tax lower for them. So that's on a national level. And then on a local level, just keep your eyes and ears open. Um, show up to events like this. And make sure you go out and vote. That's the biggest thing. Like, vote for our legislators that are supporting the things that we're doing. Make sure that you just stay very aware of what side of the things they're kind of sitting on. Um, basically what we want to have happen is that we're just trying to protect and promote the industry. So support the legislators that are also trying to do that for us. That would be the number one thing is to vote. And tell all of your friends and family that this is a big thing. Oklahoma has an opportunity right now that I don't think everyone really quite understands that we can go from one of the most archaic states in alcohol liquor reform to the most progressive. For once in our state's history, we can be very, very progressive. So just spread the word. Anytime someone wants you to sign something, send a letter, make sure you just do that for us. We really appreciate it. Next question. So I imagine you guys get quite a few people into brewery, maybe you take uh, for tastings, or people just coming off the street. A weekday, and they'll ask, you know, can I get this to go? Can I buy some of your better stuff? I mean, what kind of reactions do you get from the people that kind of come do their craft beer tourism uh, like they would do in Colorado or Oregon, say? What kind of reactions do you get from those people? What do you tell them? Like, yeah, that's a good question. It's hard for us as a manufacturing facility to be open seven days a week, so. You have people come in at all days and times, the impromptu, as I like to call them. Uh, but for the most part, we're able to do our 12 ounces per person per day if time allows and sample them that way. I think it is, it is odd to most of them that we have a product that we make that we can't sell to the public. I mean, in general, that's odd. But at the end of the day, I think they're grateful for the experience. I think that having that sampling law has been a big deal. It has 
really increased the traction quite a bit uh, in our breweries as far as on a week-to-week -week basis for us. So I think it's been very good. It could be better. And I think that if we can retail from the brewery themselves, that helps wholesaler, that helps everybody. But at the end of the day, people are just grateful to be able to come to legally sample. We're not asking them if they're from some state government organization so that we're not illegally touring sort of thing. Uh, so the, the sampling law has been good in my mind uh, and, and a step in the right direction uh, but it, it just kind of gives light to what kind of segment we can have uh, direct to retail sort of space. I'm going to pass it to Trey so he can talk about that as well. The next question Next question. All right, I got a question. Emily, I've, you know, obviously this is a bit about the CBAO, and you're a representative of the Oklahoma Craft Brewers Guild, and so why don't you talk a little bit about uh, the other organization that we are so lucky to have in our industry and what you guys are working on? Uh, yes, I'm Emily Warcutt. I'm the executive director of the Oklahoma Craft Brewers Guild. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, so we uh, focus mostly on the marketing and of the Oklahoma Brewers as, as opposed to the legislation. Uh, I'm new to the position, so I'm really excited to get a lot of stuff rock and rolling and get a lot of plants on, uh, events on the calendar. And so I've actually got to meet a lot of people today, and just having this turnout, it's really exciting. So I feel like uh, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of people behind this movement, obviously, so it's, it's really is there anything on the guild's calendar that we can look forward to coming up? Uh, we do have some events coming up, but I can't announce them just yet. We're still trying to write a lot of details. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, keep an eye out. Absolutely. And is there a place people can go to see that stuff? Uh, yes. For now, I'd encourage everybody to follow our Facebook and our Twitter. Uh, our website is currently down, which is kind of a bummer, but we are Questions? Again, nothing's off the table. Trey, what has 405 been doing lately? Uh, I see you have about three different bottles out now. Um, just trying to see what, what are you guys up to these days and what your progress is for the year. The answer is we're up to whatever we want to be up to. <laughs> Fair Sorry, that's not too much. Hey, you're not Kevin Douglas. You can't be a dick of <laughs> Thank you for noticing we've got some new projects that have been released. As a project brewery, we've recently released Manly, which was our 10% smash barley wine. And prior to that, we released ESB, which was a farmhouse style tart. We'll feature that. Uh, we do have both grapefruit sour and the ESB sitting in scissor tail bourbon barrels right now. So we're hoping to have this release by mid-year. There's a lot of excitement coming that way. And then I think it's just whatever our hearts desire from here on out. You know, when the next great recipe comes along our way, we're not even planning on brewing anything. And then we met this really great homebrewer, Shane Butner. He was in our homebrew club. He was like, hey, I've got this great beer. 
we've heard it twice, like, it's fantastic, can we steal your recipe? He's like, sure, that's fine. So we give him no credit, except for right now, and we just does recipe to prove that So thank you, Shane. Capitalism at his best. Questions? Anyone have brewing questions? Recipe questions? Process questions? Anything? Mickey, you got a question? <laughs> question from the panel. <laughs> it's for Pat. Can you express a little bit more about the collaboration for legislation beer? Yeah, absolutely. So the collaboration for legislation beer uh, is a beer that we all miraculously were able to agree upon. I was a part of that email yes, chain, yeah. and I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so we're looking at a pale ale. It's going to be a beer that's going to come in at about 4% ABV. Um, and at this point, I believe that there are three or four breweries that are committing ingredients. We're looking at about 60% pills in the A little bit of wheat thrown in, a little bit of uh, caramel malts to bring it down. Uh, and then looking for you know a, a really sessionable great beer that has an incredible aroma and also some nice citrus fruit notes uh, flavor oriented vibes. So uh, I'm excited about it. There's been a couple times where this type of collaboration has been attempted for different reasons, uh, and I really think that this is one of the first times that we're really on the path to succeed by doing it. It's going to be draft only. Yeah. So, uh, but what we hope as an organization is that it's going to be draft only not only at breweries but at potential other locations like Okanor, uh, potentially Tapworks, hopefully several locations in Tulsa. Um, what we're really hoping is that this becomes sort of a tradition is the right term, but a regular occurrence uh, where we can all get together and say. You know, at different times we disagree. At different times we have different models for how we do business. But there are times when we can all stand together and say, this is what's important for us in our industry. So, that's really what the, the beer's about. I got another question. For Mickey, uh, and, and for Blake, and I think for Trey. You know, we talked a little bit about this, but I think that, you know, for craft breweries, being a part of our community is a huge portion of what we do on a day in and day out basis. Um, and so, well, this is a broad sort of question. What does that mean to you individually and also to you as sort of representatives of your organizations? So I can say that I went from working for a wholesaler as a craft beer specialist for Sooner Beer, which I was very grateful that's how I got into this industry. And then I found a passion for Oklahoma craft beer in general. I tend to end up pushing the Oklahoma craft beer more than anything. That led me into the Oklahoma Craft Brewers Guild because I got to know all of these guys and their miraculous stories on why they're doing the things that they're doing. And now I'm working for Prairie Artisan Ales, which is always like carrying a really soft spot in my heart because they make great beer, they're very innovative, they approach the market in a very different way than any brewery that I've ever been around. That does not discount any of the other breweries in this state. I will say for me on a community level and now being their events curator, it's really important for me 
to be able to have the roots and the depth that, of the state that we all come from. Um, I think Prairie definitely shows that through their artwork, through their artisanship, things of that nature. And for us, we want to be able to support other businesses and avenues that are outside of bars, restaurants, package stores. And as much as those are so very, very important to us, there are so many businesses out there that support our brands and the things that we're doing also that we would like to promote. Um, Prairie has a lot of notoriety in the craft beer industry. So for us, we want to be able to utilize that notoriety in order to be able to expose and also broaden the knowledge of other brands that are in our home state and then be able to take that further on. So that's what being a representative of Prairie really means to me. Coop has been quite an animal since '09, and uh, at this point, I, I just couldn't be more grateful to be a part of a, an organization that makes quality beer and, and makes a living for people in a way that we try to have fun every day while we're doing it. Um, and so, you know, I was a, a home brewer and happened to the chase in hours for Perry and uh, founded Perry and. He befriended me, and I became a brewer at Coop, and was a school teacher before that. And so I kind of find myself in a place that two years ago I said, if I never do anything more in the beer industry, then I'm the happiest man on earth. And here I am two years later, just getting happier every day. So uh, I'm grateful, and I appreciate the fact that Oklahoma is the reason that we exist. There's probably 94% of our retail is in Oklahoma, and that is amazing to me. If you had told me that an IPA would be the best-selling beer that we would make, uh, however many years ago, in 2010, I would have said no way. Nobody told us better, but I, I just continue to be surprised over and over by the people that I love, and I was born 10 miles north of here. And so I'm grateful. I look forward to being a part of this thing for a long time because we now make a living for 12 people at the brewery and that's important to me. And so I, I carry a lot of pride in that and I hope that we can just continue to make quality beer for people that live quality lives and just go on down the road. So uh, thank you. I think they did a really wonderful job in stating why it's great to be brewer in the state of Oklahoma. So thank you both. So I want to piggyback on both of their statements and simply say it's so important for all Oklahoma brewers to do as much business as they can in the state. And not just simply selling up their beer to great craft beer bars in the state, but also to source ingredients locally and to establish those relationships. I know that I can walk across the street and I know that my house rep lives across the street from me that I can go see her and talk beer with her and take her a bottle of my beer and we can share that together and have a great conversation. To realize the beer is about creating memories and it's about establishing and curating relationships. That's really what it's about. Not every beer is gonna be your favorite beer and not every beer is just not every beer is gonna be no stink, but really what do you take away from that from that moment that you've had with that beer? And I can tell you for me, it was Miller Lights. And Miller Lights was the year that I met my wife over. And we were sharing a 12-pack together. 
And that seems so dorky. And I can just say that I, I love that beer for that reason. So when we all go out there and make beer and share our passion for beer, I hope you can, can enjoy that passion when you're consuming that beer and that you're remembering that moment and cherishing that memory that you're making for beer. Here, here. Any additional questions? Jonathan in the back? Uh, this question is for Trey or Blair. And just talking into now that we're in 2016, four or five, very small facility. Coop, not a small facility, at least for our standards. Uh, in 2016, for both of you, what kind of um, growth or expansion could be necessary or possible? It's very hard for me to answer this question if you already know the answer. <laughs> Yes, but we all don't. <laughs> a lot of expansion opportunities exist. And especially with the startup business that you, when we just began production in 2015, obviously additional fermentation space, upgrading of bottling apparatus to maybe more automated bottling or canning capabilities. Anything, you know, with buttons and, you know, neat gadgets where I'm not, like, manually connecting a pump. Sounds really nice if I can push a button and dial in hot water and not have to turn on an element. So many great things are out there that exist. And my answer's not nearly as cool as Blake's, because he's probably going to tell you about, here's this centrifuge, like, Pat has, it's for the cool it's in. In case anyone wants, we can enrich uranium. <laughs> just saying, just saying, in case anyone out there wants to. That's a great example. That's a great example of how one brewery's story is very different from another. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we're going to get a centrifuge this year. So we're going to get that off the table. <laughs> Those things are scary. Um, I like the feedback so. Uh, we're going to get a couple of new big 120 barrel tanks. We just got a new barrel room. Uh, date coder, so you can see the date on the bottom of the cans. Uh, that's, that's new. We're going to get an x ray machine so that we make sure you don't get any more low fills or uh, squishy cans out in the field. So, working on that stuff. Um, yeah, just kind of at a place where we can tighten the screws. I will say the coolest thing and the thing I'm most excited about is we got a 30-gallon pilot system and uh, it's going to be plumbed into our natural gas so I don't have to use any more LP tanks and we're going to put right into the water line and so we'll be able to pump out probably 20 to 25-gallon test batches which may mean more firkin opportunities or more tap room offerings or, or whatever. We'll be able to fill a whole barrel with just like three batches. So I'm pumped about that thing. I think it would be cool because we've been sitting on a lot of creativity and making a thousand gallons at a time is a lot of investment for something that may or may not go right. And now we'll have a kind of more replicable model to ramp it up. So I'm, I'm pumped about the pilot system. I think that would be cool. And I think it'll give a, a lot of kind of creative incentive for the people that we have in house now that, that know their stuff and, and have homebrewed for a long time. And, and kind of spread their wings and push the pallets even more within the walls of our brewery. So uh, I think that's the most exciting for me thing for me to look forward. 
Blake, uh, you mentioned your day coder. Maybe you could let us all in on the tribute you guys gave earlier this week to the great Ziggy Stardust. Ziggy Stardust is the uh, obviously one of the aliases of David Bowie, and we put Ziggy Hogdust. That's kind of because it was at five, and so the, the day coder thing has allowed us to kind of express a daily thought for the day, TFTV, if you will. And so we uh, are just trying to kind of, I mean, historically, Coop, I wouldn't say has the most personality. <laughs> let, me, let me just throw that out there. And so uh, we're just trying to bring it back a little bit, you know, kind of come back around and say, hey, if we can put a little funny message on the can. I will say I was pretty disappointed. Our glycol went down for eight days uh, with an ice storm. And we were going to do 12 Lords of Hoppin' on January 6th. And the glycol failed that day. And it's like, the 12th day of Christmas, 12 Lords of Hoppin', it's so many layers. No one's going to get into me. So funny. So anyway, uh, yeah, the Ziggy Hop Dust was, was a call to David Bowie. Rest in peace. And uh, uh, they, they lost this week. So anyway, Trey, question. Matt, you actually just stole my idea in general, but I was going to ask you, Blake, what's the most inappropriate thing you thought about putting on the bottom of a can? Or does it have to go through any sort of uh, man management review prior to printing on the bottom of the can? Pat said nothing was off limits. I want to know. Uh, that's true. Nothing is off limits. Blake? I, I can't answer that question. I uh, the other day that it took that far to fuck somewhere. Yes. But it hasn't gotten very far. Yeah. I mean, we had to just see, like, what would it look like in print? So we did it just to be funny, and there's no need to offend anyone. We've done that plenty of times. So, and, you know. Well, we, you know, we may kind of push buttons at, from time to time, and I'm sorry if we have offended you with any of them. I don't think we, we could have at this point, but we're going to play with it. I guess I'll go over there in the morning and make sure that it's not too profane or too weird. I won't say I like them all, but for the most part, they've done a solid effort. So, so serious question. Uh, from a business standpoint, someone who might be looking at getting into the business at some point, uh, how is it moving? How is it moving from a home brewer to a commercial brewer? Because you have the overall experience, and there's a lot of money involved, a lot of regulations, a lot of inspections. Uh, what's, that, what's that experience really like? Tedious, mind-blowing. I'm trying to think of all the words to describe the experience. Frustrating. Joyous. When you're a brewer, you're overjoyed. In our experience, it was really great because it was a partnership. And having Jonathan there with me every step of the way made the experience so much easier. I had someone who was a sounding board who listened to me as I needed to vent about a lot of things. And he did that very graciously, and I never paid him for being a therapist, and he really was. And the experience overall, though, I would say was very positive. I was impressed by how easy it was to work with the state of Oklahoma. People don't give enough credit to the state of Oklahoma for actually being pretty progressive in how easy they make the process of opening a brewery. 
And I will say the city of Mormon was, since they've never had a quote-unquote production brewery before, they were very kind in walking us through every single step of the process to open the brewery. And if I needed to contact the fire inspector, I had a cell phone number to contact him. I knew, we knew the people at the city clerk's office on a first-name basis, and they helped us every step of the way. So I was so impressed by the local and the state level, more so than the federal level. I would say that was probably the most difficult aspect of it all. Capital is everything. Having money, more money than you think you need, and then more money on top of that. But in the end, you find areas that you can make cuts and sacrifices and compromises, and you do that, and then you're able to move forward. And it's a learning process, and it's being poor is a very humbling experience. Leaving a, a normal job to become poor, you'll learn what you can live without in life. And I would say that that's created a lot of value in both of our lives. We understand what's really important, and that's friendship. And making beer is a ton of fun. It's a ton of fun. So even if, you know, you may love our beers, you may hate our beers, but the process is a ton of fun. And this all goes back to sharing that experience. That's what we want to do is we want to share that experience with you. And we're very fortunate to have a really great support throughout the state. So, um, I hope that answered your question to some degree. I'll be happy to answer more detail for you at any point. So uh, one of the questions that uh, we get a lot at TapWorks is regarding barrel-aged beers. And I know that that's probably a question that you guys get a lot, and I know it's a question that probably Micah gets a lot. So my question is, is when consumers come into TapWorks and say, hey, you know, what's funny about this barrel-aged? You know, is there anything open with this barrel-aged? What do you have with barrel-aged? That's a question I get constantly. What do you guys say to that? How hard is it now compared to just a year ago, two years ago, three years ago? Because that is the hot thing, that's hot thing everywhere. So what's it like now to make barrel-aged beers and to produce those and the cost that's involved in those? And, and what do you say to people who ask me that all the time? Um, I had experienced a time when warehouses were full of barrels whiskey barrels, rum barrels, and you could buy, and I guess at a reasonable rate. And now they're higher, but I have been fortunate in my past couple of buys to be able to find it at a time where there was some available. Um, you know, when we're selling a, a $10 to $13, seven fifty, we're making money on that. I mean, I wouldn't say that the margins are incredible or any different than our staple beers, but we are making money even with the current barrel price cost. Now, we have been fortunate enough to put in a barrel room, which allows us some temperature control, but not much humidity, which is better than being in a 100-degree warehouse in the middle of summer. So, uh, we have that luxury currently and, and are filling that out and kind of, even today, projecting the ramping up of the barrel age program so that we don't constantly have to divide or cut orders in half or sure we want to run out of the product I'll be honest I don't want to have any shelf turns would be the, the, the slogan that people use but I, I want to go through it 
but I want to make enough that everyone who wants it gets it. So per uh, is, is a, definitely a difference to that question. And they're punching and whatever, all the fooder. I don't even know all the names of those girls at this point. <laughs> so um, we're, we're at this point kind of focusing on first and second use and then third use as more of a holding vessel so that we don't have to take up stainless space for it. Uh, but my experience hasn't been as kind of cataclysmic or dire as kind of the, the general scene is. Uh, so my buying has, has happened, uh, and, I, and I'm grateful for that, but it is kind of by the skin of my teeth at this point. So. I hope to procure them in time, and, and this is kind of the other side of what I wanted to say is you just you can't hardly plan those projects anymore. You make them, and, and they're done when they're done. Because you want them to taste good, and there are so many formidable beers, not only in the country, but moving into our market and already being produced in the state, that you know, you got to bring your A game these days. This isn't five years ago when just something local makes it. You gotta make good beer. And you know, Trey makes great beer, Gary makes great beer, and that's the reason that they still exist and will continue to exist. Because at the end of the day, that's the equation. But as far as barrel age beers go, those are super fun for us and keep us on the cusp of creativity. But you gotta plan ahead and you can't be hampered by time. I can't speak on this on a brewer's level because I am not Chase or anyone that moves our beer. I will say that the barrel age program that Prairie has is very important to us. It's something that we've definitely hung our hat on. It's something that everyone looks forward to. Um, I will agree with Blake on some things just from conversations that I sit in on because our company is very good about keeping everyone informed on what's going on. Um, it is something that has to be very well planned out. It's not just some fly-by-night situation. Oh, those barrels are not inexpensive, um, so if you're going to brew a beer, you're going to barrel age it. It is something that you have to be serious about, and execution is key, I do believe. Um, I will say on behalf of Prairie, um, our barrel-aged beers, we are we have kind of in a position now where we are able to release a few more a year. Um, our program and our release um, status is to be able to get a few more of those out a year for all of you guys. And uh, there's a lot of planning that goes behind that. As someone that's not a brewer, I work within a brewery, I can definitely say I have no idea the planning that goes behind barrel-aged beers. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, Craig, I guess, on that behalf of Prairie, uh, people ask us all the time, it's a quite, I get emails about it, and I've been on board, you know, the least amount of time as anyone. I know Wes does, I know Chase does. Everyone gets a lot of emails about our barrel-aged beers, when they're going to be released, how much is going to be released. It's always going to be a limited situation from any brewery. Um, just because of the capacity that you have to do that in. Um, but everyone wants to make sure that you get a good beer in your hand. So sometimes patience is a virtue. <laughs> um, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, uh, 
Yeah, we did quite a bit of barrel aging, and I like to sort of echo Blake Steel. Uh, it's about when it's done, right? It's about the products first and those things. I constantly say barrel aging is going to be the funnest thing we do as a brewer and the biggest pain in the ass. Uh, because we're going to have barrels that don't turn out. We're going to have barrels that leave. We're going to walk in one day and go, oh, I forgot about that barrel that's back there. What are we going to do with that? Do we have a label for it? Do we have all these things for it? Uh, and so, yeah, it's a, there's a giant amount that goes into barrel beer. I do think that, you know, because we're talking about this, the fair thing to say is that the consumer wants it. Right? And that's why we do it, because we want to bring quality beer to the market for our consumers, uh, and we're excited about that. So, uh, Trey, I'm going to ask you a question that's tangential to this, and then I'm going to ask Emily a question, and I think we're going to be done, because uh, really beyond my belief, we've actually ran overtime. Uh, and so we're going to, to try and wrap it up here. Trey, I want to talk to you just a little bit about the barrel age thing and how you, as a first-year brewery, how you approach barrels uh, and how you feel like the state of craft beer and what that, like, the craft beer industry as a whole or community as a whole, how you feel about barrels and where your brewery needs to be in regards to that. It's been a fun first year working with barrels. It's been a gigantic learning experience. We've been fortunate enough to ask a lot of questions in the local quarters and have any very generous in our answers and walk us through the steps. We know that we like barrel aged beers for ourselves and first and foremost we want to brew beer that we like and then we want to make sure that our consumer likes it as well. And when we travel out of state, we look on the shelf, I'm going to be honest, I look for barrel aged beers first and foremost, so I know that consumers are looking for very large beers. So we, we knew that going into our first year that probably wasn't going to be feasible. Moving into the end of our first 12 months, that's when we wanted to start working on establishing some sort of program. Uh, we were fortunate enough to find a local distillery that had barrels in various conditions. And so I will say that's been part of the most difficult aspect is understanding barrel conditions and how you work around Kegs, or I'm sorry, leaky barrels, and then gusher barrels, which is where you fill it up and they think you have the barrel swollen in, and half of the barrel empties overnight on the floor. And so it's, it has been a giant learning curve on that of how to identify barrels you know, that really need to be thrown out and the ones that need to be kept for aging and um, learning how to properly sanitize. But ultimately, if it is what the consumer wants and it's what we want, then that's what we need to do. Perfect. So, last question tonight, and this is for Emily, because I know all the questions were laid out. Uh, we didn't get a great opportunity to talk about the work you're doing and stuff. So, I was hoping maybe you can just talk about the things you're excited for from 2016 and the work you're doing, uh, and maybe just in general the things you're excited for for the craft brewing industry. Absolutely, yes. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Leave the beers or the brewing stuff to the experts over here. Uh, I'm so excited to be the executive director of the Oklahoma Craft Brewers Guild. I think that I really want to do a lot this year as far as events and really having the community involved and um, really getting our name out there as well. Getting everybody just excited about craft beer and 
by making this done so much. Uh, so really gotta give it up for her over here. So uh, yeah, I just I'm very I think it's a very positive thing to turn out that we've had today. All of the brewers, everybody just interested, home brewers, enthusiasts. So it really does kind of spin a positive as far as there are people that are interested in this. This is a booming industry and we do need to support Thank you so much. Can we get a round of applause for our panelists, please? As Blake mentioned, one of the great joys of this industry is the ability to employ people and to provide a living for them. Uh, and these people have taken their time out of their day to come here and do this uh, and be a part of this, which we greatly appreciate as an industry. We also hope that as consumers you appreciate it, appreciate it and that you also found it informative. Uh, can, real quick, and I know that you know we're going a little bit long here, but can we say thank you to Micah and Oak and Ola for hosting this? Thank you. Again, I swear to God, there's not a greater group of people who care more about their individual communities than the craft brewers of their state. This is not an issue about drinking, to be perfect honest. This is an issue about craftsmanship and people finding a better way to exhibit their craftsmanship to the public. Uh, and thank you guys so much.